No? There we go. Grade fives and sixes can also head out with Bryce. Um, if they haven't already, they're all, all sorted. Okay, yeah, you might head out to there as well. Good morning, everyone. I know I've already said good morning again, but good morning once again. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, will you please open them up to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 6, uh, verses 7 to 13. If you are joining us for the first time in a while, or, or for the first time, we are heading uh, through the gospel of Mark, and we've been journeying through it, and we've called it a journey with Jesus. Um, because we are looking at this person, Christ, and uh, get to know who this Jesus is and to love him more. Uh, so we're going to be continuing on that journey this morning uh, in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 to 13 is the text we'll be reading. And while you're turning there, uh, this last week we had a wonderful executive meeting as deacons, um, elders, and staff. We were able to gather together. It was just great to be in the room with each other. Uh, we haven't for a while because of COVID. But one of the amazing parts about it was we were able to take time and just praise God for the good things he has done in our church and in our lives as individuals, but particularly as the church. We've just been amazed that God has blessed us so much with his presence. His presence has been a part of these gatherings. He has been a part of our services, our conversations. He has been part of our decision-making. We have seen people come to know Christ. We have seen those who know Christ uh, grow in their love for him. God is doing something amongst us as people. And I tell you that not because the elders, deacons, and staff are particularly amazing, but God is. God has been merciful to us and gracious to us that he has moved in such a trying season for many. We have seen God being uh, so good and so, so great. And I, I say that all because, well, one, it's good for us to take stock of what God has done as a, as a church and to praise him for it. But more so, I tell you that because I want you to know, church, that if we trust God, if we listen to his voice and are obedient to his call and obedient to what he asks us to do, where we are now as a church will only just be the beginning of this journey. That God has so many great things in store for us if we would just be obedient. If we would hear him and run after him and go with him. And, and he will use us mightily. Oh, God forbid, may this become about SBC. But may this become about his great name that we as a church would be able to live out and be a part of, in a small or a big way, we would be able to see our, our vision statement being fulfilled and being done as we see the city of East London filled with the gospel and glory of Jesus Christ. And so I hope you see that God is moving, and I hope you know that there is potentially more, but are we going to hear his voice and are we going to respond is the question. And I hope there's a resounding yes in our hearts. But as we come to our text this morning, and some of you might have turned there already, we're going to see that this is one of those calls. God is going to call us to something in our text, and the question is, are we going to hear and are we going to do? Or are we going to be hearers and not doers? Because if we do this, if we apply what we have this morning, and it's quite simple. It's not new. I'm just warning you. It's going to be something you've heard before. But if we can do it, we're going to see God's name be glorified, hopefully through, through the midst of this church, and we could be a lampstand in the city for his glory and his glory alone. So let's read Mark chapter 6, verses 7 to 13. It goes as follows. I'll be reading from the English Dad Version. 
says the following. And he, talking about Jesus here, called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and, to put on, and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until uh, you depart from there. And if, you, uh, and if in any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake the dust that is on your feet um, and as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. My first point this morning is that we as a church and you as a follower of Jesus have been called on mission. We have been called on mission. And we see that in, in, in verse 7. It says this, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He called the twelve and sent them out. Um, and some people who hear this come to the uh, request or to the, the argument that, well, actually, because Jesus only sent out 12 people, the mission of the church um, to go and reach the lost isn't for everybody. It's only for the select few. Because at this point of Jesus' ministry, there were crowds that were following him. And yet, even though the crowds were following him, he only sends out 12. And so they would say, in, in a modern context, that means it's the pastor, it's the duomini, it's the umfundisi, it's the missionary. It's those people's job to go and do the work. For us, we get to sit back and watch them do the work. Um, well, fortunately for us who are in full-time ministry, we have Luke chapter 10. And uh, in, in the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus sends out the 12, but in Luke chapter 10, he sends out 72. So that kind of flattens that argument a little bit. 72 were sent out. But 72 is quite a specific number, isn't it? It's quite an odd number to send. Well, Jesus seems to have done that intentionally. Um, and if you were somebody in Jesus' day who read the Greek Old Testament, that number 72 would jump out at you because in the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, we see in Genesis chapter 10 that Jesus gives a list of, or table of nations, or Jesus, the Genesis gives a table of nations. And in that table, it lists all the nations of the world. You want to know how many there were? 72. And this is Jesus' way of saying a number of things. It's Jesus' way of saying, no matter who you are, where you're from, if you are his follower, you have been sent out. And sent out where, I guess, to all the nations. That we as followers of Jesus have been called and have been sent out on mission to go and proclaim this wonderful gospel. That's our calling, and that's the call this morning for us as church. I told you, this is not going to be something new for you this morning. But I, I want to point to you, chapter, verse 7 again. I, I, when I was preparing the sermon, I noticed a couple of things. And, and the first thing that really struck me was that Jesus called, it says here, he called the twelve and began to send them. He, he calls them to himself and then sends them out. Friends, I want you to know that the first port of call as a disciple is that you ought to be close to Jesus. That this is the whole point that we've been emphasizing in Mark so far, is that you get to know and delight and enjoy in this wonderful Jesus. 
And I hope that as we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, that you have noticed that he is more wonderful than you ever thought he was, that he is greater than you ever knew, that he is more personal and more loving towards you than you have ever experienced, and that you get to know him. Christ's call on your life is that you would come and know him and enjoy him and delight in him. To be a disciple of Jesus and to be far off is not a good place to be. But be a disciple of Jesus and be close to him is the first thing that you need to do. How's that going for you this morning? Is that intimate relationship with Jesus there or is it dry and weary? Because friend, if he is distant, that's not where he wants you to be. He wants you to be close. Run to him, enjoy him, delight in him. How's that going for you? Is that there? Because that's the first place you need to be. However, it also says that he sent them out. Jesus calls us to himself so that we might enjoy him and delight in him. But in in that, he goes, now go. (laughs) Go to the world. Go tell them about this wonderful joy and delight that you have. Go out. Do it. And this is, this is actually seen quite regularly in Scripture that God would come and call us to himself and then send us out. We see it with Abraham. God reveals himself to Abraham and says, hey, I want to be your friend. Now leave. Moses, come to the burning bush. Let me reveal to you my name. My name is Yahweh. Now go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Isaiah, oh, let me cleanse you from the sin that is on your lips with a burning coal. Now go and be a mouthpiece to the nations. Jesus, even in the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 1, verse 17, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And now he, he is sending them off. Friends, the call of Christ to be a disciple of Jesus is not only that we should delight in him, but as well we should be on mission with and for him. That we are to go and tell everyone about this wonderful, wonderful Jesus. But might I say that the best place for us to be in mission is to have an intimate relationship with him. The safest place for us to be on mission is that we are to be close to him, not far from him. The danger is, and we need to safeguard ourselves against this as a church and as individuals, is that we can look at the busyness of ministry and that can mask our lack of intimacy with Jesus. That God could be doing a mighty work in this building and it's nice and full and man hopefully grows and suddenly the lost are coming in and people are, uh, things are happening. We've got big events. We make God a name in the city. Hey, we start to put smoke machines on the stage and things get flashy and nice and everything's busy and yet in the busyness we forget that Jesus is not really in the room. And I want to guard us as a church as we go on mission with Christ and he starts to do stuff that we don't get caught up in the, in the fruitfulness and the busyness of ministry over the fact that we need Jesus. Oh, may we never leave his side. May we cling to him. And, and see, the, the problem is that could also happen to us not only in a big stage, but as his person, as individuals is that God uses us in a variety of different ways, and yet he is far from us. And I know this from experience. That God can use me in the pulpit, but yet my heart is far from him. 
He can use you in your ministry, and yet, God, you are far from God. And we fool ourselves into thinking, I am good with God because He is using me. Friends, don't be fooled by busyness. Don't even be fooled by fruitfulness. How is your intimacy with Jesus going? How's it going? And if you can safeguard yourself with intimacy, safeguard your, yourself with a love for Jesus, you will stop yourself from falling into sin as regularly because it's when you desire Christ, when you enjoy Him and delight in Him, the sins of the world look less tasty, less good. Why? Because you are feasting on something that is far better. It's Jesus. When you de desire and enjoy in Jesus, it stops you from falling into legalism because rather what happens is ministry is flowing out of intimacy and not trying to gain intimacy through mission. Does that make sense? It stops you from becoming a person where the ministry becomes about my name and my reputation and the kingdom I'm building because actually in light of this wonderful Jesus, who cares about me? And so it's important as we go on mission, we ought not to fall into the trap of, of this becomes about me and not about my intimacy with Jesus. And, and we... we don't see it in the text as clearly, but it's there. Jesus sent out who? He sent out the 12. Who's, who's got a really bad reputation amongst the 12? Judas. Do you notice that Judas went and preached repentance? It says it there, right? They sent out the 12 and they preached repentance. Do you notice that G Judas was a part of those who healed the sick, and cast out demons. It doesn't have a, a bracket and go, they went and preached, open bracket, except Judas, close bracket. He was a part of it. Friends, the danger is that we can be so far from Christ, but yet be busy. And, and while I want you to be excited for mission, man, where's your love for Jesus? And let your love for Jesus flow out into, into mission. And each and every single one of you this morning have a purpose. If you are a Christian, if you've come to know Christ, you have a plan and purpose. There's a, there's a general purpose and there's a specific purpose. There's a general purpose in that we are called to mission, all of us, but there's a specific plan for you. We see this in Ephesians 2 verse 10, that famous verse. It says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, which uh, uh, I should have read this, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Isn't that wonderful? that you have a specific plan that God has set for you that, that takes into consideration your personality, your interests, your, um, your race, your gender, takes into consideration the, the place that you're working, everything. That you have a plan and purpose. And what that means for us is that there are certain people in this room that can only reach certain people that most of us can't that you have people that you are connected to that you can help that I will never rub shoulders with. What are, there's 150 in this room. I'm going to leave it at that. And say if you had 10 people that you could reach, that's 1,500 people outside of that. I could never reach all of those people. Oh, but you could reach 10. You could help a need there. And God has specifically given certain people in your lives that you alone 
were able to bring the gospel in, to be able to help. It's a wonderful, wonderful privilege. It's a wonderful, wonderful purpose that you have to go and do for the glory of Christ. He has planned it for you. But how do we do this mission? Well, we first see that we are given a message. We are to do it with our voices. As, as followers of Jesus, we are messengers. We are to go out and publicly proclaim about this Jesus and to urge people to respond to it. Now, in this text, it doesn't necessarily use the word gospel, but repenting is a result of the gospel. They would have gone and proclaimed about the kingdom coming and the king being there and the needing to respond to it. And the word gospel is used in the book of Mark. It's used in, in chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Um, and if you recall back uh, to week 1, we explained historically what the gospel meant, the word gospel. It is an objective, history-changing event. It's something that has happened that everybody needs to know because it affects them. And so it's this history-changing event. Uh, the most famous example of this we mentioned is probably uh, the one that happened at the Battle of Marathon in AD uh, 490. The Persians are fighting against the, uh, the Greeks. They are invading Greece. And as they are coming in, the Athenian army, those from Athens, are going to fight against them. And nobody expects the Greeks to win at all. The Persians are coming in, and they're going to dominate and the people back in Athens know that as well, and they're panicking, and they're trying to get the kids and the women out of the city. And the Athenian army goes up against the Persian army, and they win, to everybody's surprise. And they realize after they've won, they have to send a messenger back. So they send one guy, single guy, and he runs. He runs 42.2 kilometers. He runs the marathon distance. That's where we get it from, from the Battle of Marathon. And this guy runs. And he gets to the city, and as he arrives at the city, he's able to say one sentence as the story goes. He goes, triumph, I rejoice, we have triumphed. And he collapses dead. And in the story, what we have here is we see the disciples doing the same thing. They are running, well, maybe not running, walking into cities and are going, there has been this event that has happened. <laughs> you need to know about it. The king has been born. The kingdom is arriving. You need to repent. You need to get yourselves ready. You need to respond to this Jesus that has arrived. And, and friends, in a very similar way, we too go out. But we go out with a full message. We go out into the cities. We are to run into the cities and say, rejoice. Jesus has triumphed. The king has arrived. The Savior has been born. He lived the life that we could not live. He died upon the cross. And as he died upon the cross, the wrath of God was poured out upon him and sins were forgiven. And he rose again three days later so that whoever will believe in him will be saved. Rejoice, the Savior has come and we have been saved. Amen? Oh, that was, that was a hearty amen. Man, we have the Savior that has done this. And we get to run into the city and say it. And, and, and it's so life-changing that we need to tell people, they need to respond to it because it's a matter of not only, uh, it's a matter of a fullness of life here on, on this side of the grave and also an eternal life. 
if they don't respond to this message, it leads to one, a poor quality of life now, but two, even more importantly, eternal death. We have to run and go, you need to know there is a savior who has come. And friends, I want you to know that what we are required to go and tell people about is simply the gospel. We are not to know apologetics. I have nothing against apologetics. I enjoy it myself, but I want to let you know what saves people's souls is not convincing them where life came from and the existence of God, where uh, salvation happens is in the presentation of who this Jesus is. We see that in Romans 1 verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of what? Apologetics? No. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power unto God for salvation to those who will believe. Sometimes we're so tentative in sharing our faith because we're worried that people are going to ask questions that we can't actually answer, but that's not what we are called to do is to answer everyone's questions. What we are called to do is to tell them about Jesus. And in telling them about Christ, that's where the power has happened. He can take the most atheistic person, the person, the deist, he can take anyone's heart that is hardened toward anything about God and he can change them in an instant in the presentation of the gospel. That's all you have to do. And you know the gospel. And he can take your fumbling and your mumbling and your poor explanations and he can use it to change a person's heart. Don't worry about the apologetics. Just simply preach and proclaim the gospel. That's all you have to do. And in that, people will be saved. We find ourselves in a society where people frown upon us sharing the gospel altogether. I don't know if you've heard the argument before or the request that is put online, a request is, you know, you can believe in your Jesus, just don't tell other people about him. Believe in your Jesus. Just don't try to make converts. Don't try to claim that you have the truth. But you can believe in your Jesus. Now, I have a couple of problems with this. Uh, and the first one is I can't believe they don't see their own hypocrisy. They say, they try to impose on us their belief that people mustn't impose on others their belief. They tell us, not to tell your faith. They, don't, they impose on us their belief that others shouldn't impose on people their belief. It's, I, I'm just gobsmacked by the, the, the hypocrisy and irony behind those statements. But secondly, in asking us to do that, actually what they're saying is don't believe in Jesus. Because if we truly believe that he is the son of God who died for the sins of the world and he is the only way to salvation, he is the only hope, and in him there is life, and in him there is joy, and in him there is, there is salvation from eternal death, if we truly believe that, then we can't keep our mouth shut. Then we have to run into the city and say, rejoice, Jesus has triumphed. Because to know the only cure to eternal death and yet hold on to it would be incredibly cruel and wrong. But we are to run into the city and shout, Jesus, he has come, he has saved us. And so we cannot listen to their requests, no matter how hypocritical it might be. The second way we are to do mission is not only with our voices, but in our actions. 
we are to be agents of love. I don't know if you, you noticed it, but they don't only go and preach the gospel, preach that and proclaim that people should repent, but they go out and cast out demons and heal the sick. They meet an immediate need. They go out and they, they go and love and meet people in their brokenness and in their hurts. They go and do the love of God. They don't only speak about the love of Jesus, but they go and demonstrate it through their actions as well. Uh, straight after Jesus has sent out the 72 in Luke, they get back and they're all excited and happy and a lawyer challenges Jesus and he asks Jesus, how can one in inherit eternal life? And uh, Jesus asks what the law uh, says and he goes on to say, uh, uh, the guy answers and says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you, correct, you answer correctly, do this, and you will live. And, but he said, desiring to justify himself, who is my neighbor? And Jesus goes and uh, tells us that famous parable of the, the Good Samaritan. And what I love about the Good Samaritan is he's incredibly a practical guy. He doesn't see someone broken on the side of the road and share the gospel with him. Only he goes and he does what? He goes and binds up his wounds. He puts him on a, his donkey. He pays for his stay. It's, it's inconvenient. He, go, he goes and loves him practically. We as Christians are to be incredibly practical in the way we love others as well. Those who are broken, those who are lost, we are to meet them in their needs. Now, I want to guard us here and say that we ought not to uh, just do this without preaching the gospel. Sometimes we, we like to say, I, I preach the gospel always and I use words if necessary. No, friends, we have to preach the gospel and love both equally. Can't live others. But may I say that one of the greatest apologetics for our faith, if you want to talk about apologetics, is loving others. Jesus tells us this when he says, go and be the light of the world. He says, they will see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You want to have a great apologetic for the faith that you have? Go and demonstrate that by loving others who are in need. It is part of our mission is to meet a real need, and in doing so, the gospel and Christ will be glorified through it. But may I also say that it has to be accompanied with the gospel. Because how can they give glory to the Father if they don't know who the Father is? And so we are to, one, preach the gospel, but two, love them incredibly uh, as well through the way our actions and, and, and the way we do things there. And if you're wanting to know how you are doing in terms of loving, um, loving the Father and loving God and how that intimacy is going, a great outworking of your love for him is seen in your love for others. You see that in the great commandments. The first one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is to love your neighbor as yourself. One flows out into the other. And if you aren't loving others well, it might be a good litmus test to tell you that you're probably not loving God very well and that you need to come and love him with your whole heart because when you love him well, you will love others well as, as a result of it. So how's your love for others doing? Are you loving others who are in need? Are you helping those around you who are broken? 
meeting their immediate needs, being there trying to help them? Or is your heart hardened toward them that you are moving away? Friends, I encourage you to love them very, very well. And, and I know this is incredibly difficult, isn't it? Because people are difficult, aren't they? Yeah, people are difficult. And people run, rub you up the wrong way. Ah, oh, they're annoying. Not you guys, other, the others that aren't here. Not you online either. But the... the, the, the <laughs> But we all know someone that just gets on our nerves, don't you? And they're frustrated. They're part of your Bible study. You've got a name already. And if you don't, it's probably you. There's somebody, there's somebody that just that gets on your nerves and you, and you, oh, I need to love this person. And it's hard and it's difficult and it's, it's not easy to do. And, and often it's inconvenient. It's not, it's costly, it costs money, it costs finance, it costs emotional energy, it, it costs time. It costs you watching that game or spending time doing the things you enjoy. It, it's frustrating. It's not easy. So as I paint this picture, I realize that, but may I also say to you, friends, didn't, isn't that exactly how God loved us? <laughs> sure, it was super inconvenient to leave the glories of heaven, to come down to people who were broken and lost, who were shaking their puny little fists at him anyway, saying, we don't want you, who were unwilling to get any help of their own. It cost him much. It didn't only cost him the glories of heaven for a few years, but it cost him his life because he loved you. And so when we love those who are far weaker than ourselves and in a bad space and it's annoying and frustrating, all we are doing is demonstrating the love of Christ for us to them. We are demonstrating the love of Jesus towards them through our actions. We become an agent of his love to them. And as they might thank us or appreciate the love that we are able to share, we go, yeah. I do this because someone loved me like this as well. May I tell you about him? Can you look to this Jesus. He does it so much better than I do. We get to love others because we have been loved so much more. I'm, I'm, I'm very early this morning. I have more to say, but I feel like I'm going to land it there. You can thank me later. But in conclusion... Friends, how is your intimacy with Jesus? Do you love him? Because part of this mission that you have been called on first is come and come enjoy him. Come love him. Oh, but don't stay there. Don't, well, stay there. Don't hear me wrong. Stay there. But you're also sent. You're sent out. God has made a purpose and a plan for you. And, and what the, I don't know, I can't give you the details of what that looks like, but I can tell you it consists of two things. Running into the city and saying, rejoice, Jesus has triumphed. And to love the world as Christ has loved you. Let us pray. As the worship team comes up, maybe there's a name that has popped into your hearts friend, a family, a colleague, a neighbor, 
someone you need to share the gospel with, you need to tell about Jesus, pray for them now, ask God to give you that opportunity. Remember, you don't have to get into apologetics, you don't have to answer the questions, all you have to do is to share this gospel. And then the second thing is this, is that you can go and love. Who can you go and love practically? What need is on your heart that you can go and get involved in? That you can be the hands and feet of Christ to those who are in need. For in doing so, you will replicate, replicate what he has done for you. And you will demonstrate his love to them. Father, we are so thankful that when we were lost and when we were broken, that you came down to this world and that you died for us. We are thankful that you didn't leave us because it was too inconvenient or it was too costly. But yet your love drove us, drove yourself to us so that we might know you and enjoy you. I pray for everyone here this morning that one, that they would delight in you that they would enjoy Jesus, that, Lord, you would show us the state of our hearts and that we would be close to you. And two, Lord, that we wouldn't fall into the trap of getting caught up in busyness, that we would come and delight in you to such a point that it will bubble out, out of us into, into our mouths and into the hearts of others as we share about Jesus. Would you give a boldness for us to do so? Oh, and may we love and love well practically. May we reach needs. Lord, this is the call that you've called us to as a church. It's one that's been around for ages, but Lord, we want to respond to it and say, with your help, we will do it. Help us to do it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing one last song. We are going to uh, respond to this wonderful Jesus in, word, in song. Would you stand with me as we do that? Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, Mary, I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh, God, how I need Sin runs deep.
go this week we pray would you give us to see you moving and ears to hear you talking and and so that we might be a part